Have you ever sat down with your mother and asked her about the time she was pregnant with you? Was it a smooth pregnancy or did she face any challenges? What was her doctor like? And what advice and tips related to pregnancy did the people around her pass on to her? Hi there. You're listening to Unviral, the podcast where we tackle that dangerous combination of the two kinds of virality. Misinformation about health. I'm Parvati Mohan, production lead at Factly, and in this episode, we look at false information about maternal health. In our previous episode, we spoke about misinformation on menstrual health. One of the things we discussed was that a lot of us first learn about periods from the women around us, our mothers and grandmothers. These older women have a sense of been there, done that and so may think that they are the best source of knowledge for the young girls in the family. To some extent, the same may be said for pregnancy and childbirth. You have probably heard some form of such old-world knowledge directed at pregnant women in your family too. Things like a pregnant woman should eat enough food for two people, and the shape of her belly or the symptoms of the pregnancy will reveal the biological sex of the child. In India, apart from elderly women, There are also traditional authorities on pregnancy, like midwives. In many parts of our country, these women are held in high esteem for their experience and wisdom. Perhaps in our grandmother's time, pregnant women did not have access to doctors trained in the Western style and so had to rely heavily on their mothers and midwives. But a lot has changed since then. We now have access to doctors and verified medical information literally at our fingertips. So, should we discard all the traditional knowledge that exists? Or should we hold on to it and be suspicious of modern medicine? And when it comes to analysing all this traditional knowledge, should we trust it blindly or try to figure out if there is any science behind it? This podcast is usually about addressing and debunking myths related to health issues. But this episode is slightly different in that maternal health is not as riddled with the kind of obvious fake claims as in vaccination or period health. What we see in this sphere is more a lack of proper knowledge or a sort of incomplete knowledge, as you will realise over the rest of the discussion. So, while we will talk about some pregnancy and childbirth-related myths, we would also like to use this podcast as a platform to discuss the established knowledge around the issue. To talk about this in more detail, I have with me Nandita Kalidos, the Factly Facebook Health Fellow. You've done a lot of research on maternal health and there are many things I want to talk about. But first, I want to ask, what myths about pregnancy and childbirth have you come across in your research? So, misinformation in case of maternal health manifests itself in more than one ways. So, most times these pregnant women lack the adequate knowledge or withhold their reproductive and medical information owing to family or societal pressures, especially to evade their private questions. And there are a number of myths around the do's and don'ts of pregnant women and most times these women do not question these traditions in the fear that something might actually go wrong. So, the myths can range anywhere from eating for two people, which is a huge diet blunder, considering that it leads to maternal obesity, which in turn will result in gestational diabetes, backaches, high blood pressure, among many other complications during labour. And it can also further extend to childhood obesity of the baby. Other obsolete myths include not having any physical activity, intake of iron tablets implies dark skin of the baby or saffron implies fair skin, or even they are not even allowed to turn from side to side. 
Given that each pregnancy is unique, it is crucial that expecting mothers discuss their entire obstetric and reproductive health with their doctors so that right guidance can be provided to them starting from first trimester up until the labor time. A lot of the things you've said seem to stem from the pregnant woman's family. But as I was telling our listeners, in India, a lot of pregnant women rely on midwives for guidance. Did you come across anything interesting in your research about the role such traditional caregivers play in our society? Yeah, Parvati, I did come across an interesting case study. It was found that Goans, Kols, Mavasi tribes living in the forests of Bundelkhand region in the central India followed a very strange belief in superstition. Whenever a woman delivered a baby, both the mother and the new newly born baby were isolated by the rest of the family members. This was at least for three days after delivery. The mother and the baby are not touched and attended to by anyone including the family members. Even the mother was forbidden to touch her own baby. They are not provided with any food or milk in this period. The tribals in the region believe that their goddess would watch the mother and the baby during these three days and it is against the wishes of their goddess to attend to the needy mother and the baby. This particular case deals with three days of ordeal faced by young tribal women who had delivered a newborn and both the mother and the newborn are left to starvation and eventual death. The social beliefs and customs also contributed to high maternal mortality rate, infant mortality rate and malnourishment rate among children in the region. The problem was solved only when the female functionary of Samaj Shilpi Dampatis, the SSD scheme, where the auxiliary nurse midwives have actually taken up the challenge and provided timely help to save both the mother and the child from starvation and death. Especially in the rural areas, these ANMs play a significant role in providing timely help to both the mother and the baby. So it's not that these midwives without MBBS degrees cannot be trusted. Those of us with Western exposure tend to look down on the traditional knowledge, but it has its own expertise in dealing even with the most complicated pregnancies. That is an interesting takeaway because really, we are often taught to think less of traditional knowledge and told that Western knowledge is superior. But as seen in the Bundelkhand case, it took a group of traditional caregivers to come forward and stop an old practice that was putting the lives of mothers and babies at risk. So, perhaps every woman should be given access to the different kinds of knowledge available and have the choice to make an informed decision for herself and her baby. I'd now like to return to the question of nutrition, but this time looking at what is fed or not to a baby instead of the mother. Studies show that in India, the first breast fluid produced by a mother after giving birth is often thrown away and not given to her newborn baby. This fluid is called colostrum. A 2019 study by child rights organization Child Rights and You found that around 60% of Indian children are deprived of colostrum. The study also hints at ignorance about the importance of colostrum as a major reason for this. So, let us understand why colostrum is important for newborns from Dr. Ankesh Sahetya, an obstetrician gynecologist based in Mumbai. Cholesterol is very important. It contains so many immunoglobulins, so many antibodies, so Im important in the nutrients, very good for the baby's immunity and health and the future. Another issue in pregnancy-related nutrition is the rampant presence of anemia in India. Anemic mothers give birth to anemic babies and so a cycle is formed that is getting harder and harder to break with time. Dr. Sahetya weighs in on the problem. 
anemia is so common in india it's so rampant now because of the iron deficiency it's all because of the nutrition now because of iron deficiency there is you know a, even in the rural area people who can't afford you know foods containing even green vegetables like palak methi when that iron source is less eventually a mother or doesn't get enough uh, iron and the baby gets less iron so such babies can have low growth they can have iugr they can have deficiencies in growth uh, the baby will be born with you know certain uh, growth abnormalities under 1.5 kg under 2 kg not healthy so this baby could have lifelong implication because of the low birth weight so it's very important the mother has a hemoglobin of at least 12 grams uh, many mothers don't get the iron supplements in pregnancy so at least give them the right diet the right diet is you know a high iron rich diet which uh, if you're eating meat if you're eating non-veg you can have egg if you're vegetarian get the iron uh, sources of vegetables like green leafy vegetables and a regular checkup of hemoglobin is very very important and to build the iron and hemoglobin is essential as far as uh, the future of the mother and the baby problems like anemia and the myths around pregnancy exist because we don't have open discussions about these things in a conservative society like ours and if this is the case for something like iron deficiency then it must definitely be worse for larger issues like contraception and abortion we realize that there are several myths around these two issues but we will not deal with these in too much detail here One of our upcoming episodes will deal with the myths around contraception and abortion in more depth. But to return to the episode at hand, let us hear from Dr. Sahetya on the contraception methods used widely in India and how he thinks doctors can contribute to the awareness on this. Now the most commonly used contraceptive in India over the last 30-40 years has been the 21-day pill. It was marketed by the name called Mala N and Mala D. So contraception again basically is, you know, the idea of spacing pregnancies not getting pregnant immediately a woman who's just got married to avoid pregnancy again very 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 immediately at the same time you know uh, the other devices use the copperty which is the intrauterine copperty device which is again very very good but again so many myths here and there in india that right? when you put the copperty you gain weight when you get the copperty uh, you're going to get heavy painful periods yes the side effects do exist but they're very very minor of 0.1 to 1% most people do very well with the copperty then there's the condom which is comes as the nirodh uh, these two are the most common the 21 day pill the copperty and the condom then the other ones are the injectable forms of dmpa medroxybuzosan acid injection it's an injection giving you protection for 3 months again it has complications of irregular periods then the worst method i would say is the emergency contraceptive the the morning after pill which is really having a 10% failure rate and it's not the best uh, recommended method according to me the only way is counseling and giving and selling the approach whether the woman requires 21 day pills the woman requires a copperty the idea is to create awareness so every medical doctor everyone who's worked in the department of obgyn has always been a promoter of these devices also there's a department called as preventive and social medicine where they advise smaller families contraception so the whole idea is giving awareness to the patient whenever she enters any medical facility as with contraception there is a stigma around the termination of pregnancy the reasons for this may range from premarital sex being taboo to babies being considered a gift from god in a traditional society like ours and of course the fact that many people do not use or do not have access to the right contraception adds to the problem what does the available data say about abortion in india nandita so the gray areas of stigma around abortion are the biggest breeding grounds for misinformation the stigma is so true in the real world that the indian law on abortion that is the medical termination of pregnancy act mtp 1971 does not use the colloquial word abortion anywhere at all one of the most prevalent misconceptions in the indian context 
is that a mother is synonymous to being a woman in most households with this idea of the society too often women both married and unmarried women are forced to uphold the taboo around the word abortion the practice is often deemed dirty shady impure dangerous and even risky and it is this stigma that often forces women to turn towards unsafe unhygienic practices instead in fact a study by the lancet estimated that about 15.6 million abortions occurred in india in 2015 out of which most are medication abortions that were obtained outside of the health facilities again there are multiple intersectional causes behind these pregnancies and abortions including lack of education inaccessibility to contraception and health information and autonomy over decision making of their own bodies it seems like a lot of women don't have a say in things that affect their lives and bodies like the choice of whether to keep or terminate a pregnancy i've said this in this episode before and i'll say it again because it is important other people can help her gain access to various resources but ultimately important decisions around a woman's life and body must be taken by the woman herself and she should be able to do this without fear of retaliation or stigma when we speak of the stigma around maternal health we must also address postpartum depression a 2020 study published in medical journal elsevier tells us that between 10 and 35% of women across the world including india suffer from depression both during pregnancy and after giving birth but the term depression is not yet part of our dinner table conversation much less any kind of depression related to pregnancy should a woman choose to talk about it she is likely to be shamed for feeling emotionally disconnected from her baby adding to her guilt You have done some research into this yourself Nandita so tell us how does postpartum depression affect new mothers and how should the people around them engage with the issue Well postpartum is an extremely crucial period of the maternal health after having gone through extreme physiological changes women are expected to assume their new role as mothers with ease but that's not the case at all postpartum disorders can range anywhere from worrying if the baby is eating too much or too less to lack of emotional or financial support for the mother in taking care of the child excruciating pain in cases of c sections distressed relationships body image issues even domestic violence and sometimes even for the desire of a male child in fact depression is an umbrella term which is used so casually postpartum disorders can essentially be divided into three categories postpartum blues postpartum depression and postpartum psychosis and a woman is likely to go through any of these three stages in addition to the hormonal and physiological changes that the mother goes through excessive and uncontrollable crying anxiety attacks difficulty in establishing a secure bond with the new baby insomnia or sleeping too much loss of appetite binge eating you name it feeling inadequate as an ideal mother that the society has set standards for are some of the obvious symptoms of postpartum disorders and it is exceptionally important that the women and her family are aware of these disorders and communicate with the doctor about how she is feeling and what she is feeling this is extremely important to take the necessary help at the right time before the woman reaches to the depression or the psychosis stage it's important to women to know what they feel and how they feel and how they communicate it to their family and the doctors health issues are complicated especially with something as gendered and sensitive as maternal health there are social issues that combine with the medical issues 
leading to a lot of confusion. And this confusion then turns into a breeding ground for misinformation, which only complicates things further. These layers of stigma and misinformation are not going to disappear anytime soon. But at an individual level, we can educate ourselves and talk about these issues more freely so that with time, we learn to talk about maternal health with data instead of rumours and misinformation. A starting point can be to call your mom or other women you know and are comfortable with and ask them about their experience with pregnancy and childbirth. We've also left some links in the description for you to read up on maternal health and related issues in more detail. Until next time, take care, stay safe and remember to unviral. Unviral by Factly is researched by Nandita Kalidos, written, hosted and produced by Parvati Mohan and edited and designed by Jyoti Jiru. Thank you for listening.